We're a pioneer church based in Loughborough in the UK. Our mission is to make disciples to establish heaven on earth. So I've been asked to speak to you about faith as defiance and um, basing it very much on a, on a verse that has meant an incredible amount to us over the last six months or so, and it's uh, from Daniel. But I'm going to talk to you just a little bit about defiance and maybe give you a bit of a definition of that. Because defiance can have sort of like a, a negative connotation to it. If you look at the, um, the definition in the, in the dictionary, it says, open resistance to authority or opposition. And it's not something that we normally teach for us to be defiant. You know, we're, we're taught to, you know, come under authority. We're taught to respect our leaders. We're taught to, you know, um, think about our, our role in, in considering to those who lead and are above us. And um, so there's something that's sort of a bit challenging about that, that word for me, about resistance, about insubordination, because it's not something, particularly perhaps, you're, you're yet a lot younger than me. I was going to say younger, but really a lot younger, many of you. And you know, we were taught much more about coming under authority uh, when I was younger. But I think there's something really powerful about defiance when it's done in the right way. And I love this next um, definition, which is just going to come up in front of you now. This is more helpful to me. It says, a daring or a bold resistance to authority or to an opposing force. And I found that a bit more helpful because I had to challenge myself around that. Because sometimes we will come up against things that we oppose. And it's okay to disagree. It's okay to have a different opinion to someone else. But as long as we do it in the right way. So it's okay to be defiant so long as we're respectful. It's okay to be defiant so long as we, we're upright and we have there's a righteousness about it. That third one, a challenge to meet in combat or in contest. And I think it's okay that we are defiant, particularly when it comes to our faith that we are able to stand, that we're able to say, this is what we believe, and we will not be shaken. We've already sung that. And that defiance is a good thing, to be defined that actually I'm not going to be pushed down. When I was little, there used to be these... Um, I think you can still get them, but they were like eggs, and they were toys, and they were called weebles. And uh, there was this little song, Weebles Wobble, But They Won't Fall Down. And I think as Christians, there needs to be something about that tenacity in our faith, in our belief, that we're almost like these, these weebles. I wish I had one to show you now, but you push it, and it just bounces back. Imagine a, a weighted egg shape where you push it over, and it just bounces back. That's faith as defiance. For a Christian, when we're looking at, um, at our faith and actually saying, this is what I believe and I'm going to stand in that and I'm not going to be shaken. So that's where we're coming from this evening, defiant faith. And we're going to look particularly about the defiant faith of three men who really trusted God right in the midst of the fire. And we're going to look at uh, Daniel chapter 3. And if you've got your Bibles, you might want to open it or turn it on or whatever you do. Um, that's accessible for you. It will be up, but actually I've realized that's a really bad PowerPoint there. So um, maybe ignore that one. <laughs> I do apologize. 
But the book of Daniel, it's a narrative and it's prophetic. That it's about a group of Jews who are exiled to Babylon. And, and the, one of the key characters there is this man called Daniel. And at the stage of writing, he's a young man. And he's, um, he was part of the royal family, a Jewish royal family. And he and his three friends were, were chosen. They would have been educated young men. They would have had um, come from uh, families of standing in the culture and the race that they were from. And they were selected, they were chosen to go and live in the Babylonian royal palace. And the, the, the idea was that they were going to be educated in the superior Babylonian culture. And they were given these Babylonian names, they were completely transformed. And these three, who were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, were turned into Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these young men were really attempting to hold their integrity and their faith right in the midst of pressure to conform to the culture that they'd moved into. There was a, a heavy pressure for them to water down their faith, to, to adopt the faith of the land, and to come into the culture and the behavior of the land that they were living in. And, and Daniel is a, a, would have been a contemporary version of Joseph in Egypt, if you liken him to that, where actually he was almost like fast-tracked. He was promoted into a place of, of prominence, mainly because he was able to interpret the king's dreams when all the other wise men in the land weren't able to. They didn't have a clue what these dreams were about. And yet Daniel steps in and he's able to interpret the king's dream. And the king gives him favor and promotes him in the royal household, in the officials of the land. And the key theme of the book is pretty much around this. Don't conform to culture. Do what pleases God and he will strengthen you and enable you to do that. And that is where we get this phraseology, faith as defiance. And it's good. It's a good thing. So I'll read this to you. Chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall. That's quite big. And 9 feet wide. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And then he sent messages to the high officers, the officials, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of this statue that he had set up. So all these officials came and they stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And then Harold shouted out, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sounds of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all the other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship. King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. And anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Verse 7. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. But some of the astrologers, or some versions of the Chaldeans, went to the king and informed on the Jews. And they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. And you issue a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue. When they hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and the other musical instruments, 
that decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon, and they pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods, and they do not worship the gold statue that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that these men be brought back to him. And when they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up there? Verse 15. I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue that I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to oh, and then what God will be able to rescue you from my power. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. And he will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Set up. And I'm sure those last words there are quite familiar to us. We, even if you throw us into the blazing furnace... The God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. So we're just going to look at primarily these last couple of verses here. The rest sort of sets the scene. So we've got King Nebuchadnezzar, who's said some of the um, authors and commentators say he was a complicated people. Anybody know any complicated people? Not in this room, I'm sure. <laughs> but said that he's cruel on a whim or changeable or irrational. And there's an emphasis on this man, this king, on the occult and magic. And this man, he was, his king, he was tormented by nightmares that his men couldn't interpret, but Daniel's was able to. And there's a point in chapter 2 where he accepts, because of Daniel's willingness to step out and speak, he accepts that there is a power in the Lord God Almighty. But unfortunately, it's short-lived. It's albeit brief. And then we get in chapter 3, this man who, this king who builds this 90-foot statue and makes it this God and, and absolutely demands that everybody in the province, everybody in the land will bow down and worship it. And he even backs it with the threat, if you don't, you will be thrown into the fiery furnace. So there's quite, there's quite a test of allegiance there. There's no getting out of it. There's no, oh, well, if you don't, if you this, and you don't, if you that, and you don't have to, if, if you believe this or that or the other. It's everyone, no matter what. And if you don't, 
in the fire you go. That's the gist of it. And he gets all of these, these officials in and he, he brings them in and there's this big celebration, this dedication to the temple, to this, this statue. And, and there's all the, all the instruments that we, we talked about or we heard in the reading. And, and, when, and he says, when the music plays, then you bow down. When you hear the sound, you bow down. And that was the culture. That was where they were at. And there was a command. There was a decree. It was a non-negotiable. It was that or death. Except we have three men who've been using their muscles of faith. And ever since they've come to the land of Babylon, they've actually said, we won't do this. Oh, they're trying to live a life of faith. They're trying to serve God with integrity and it's a challenge. And they start in Daniel 1. You will have maybe remembered that they refused to eat the fine foods and drink the wines in the, in the palace. And they, they had what we now know as the Daniel fast where it's just sort of um, vegetables and, and sort of things like that. They'd already tested some of their muscles of faith They'd already proved that God was greater. It actually talks about when they, when they operated that faith and they made that stand, that it turns out that they looked more healthier. And the Babylonian official said, okay, you can do that. They'd already won that battle. They'd already tested their muscles in that way and they'd stood firm. And God came through for them. But there were some people who probably had some motivation about these young guys who've come from a different land and are suddenly being fast-tracked up the, you know, the civil service of Babylon of the day. And there's something, you know, there's this decree that's going to, everybody has to bow down. And they bring this to the attention of King Nebuchadnezzar. You said everyone has to bow down. And if they don't, they're in the fiery furnace. And you've got these three men, these three young men of faith who are standing firm, who are quietly going about their business. Their actions weren't necessarily big, bold, public, public statements. We will not bow down. It was more the quiet, peaceful process. It wasn't hidden. There would have been lots and lots of people. There were thousands of officials, lots of people on this day of dedication. But when the moment came, they decided they were standing firm. And actually their belief in God meant so much more to them than to bow down. They didn't form this lodge or formal protest. They simply refrained from sharing in the sin of idolatry. It was a quiet but firm action and probably went unnoticed until these three or until these these people sort of said look at them look at them and Nebuchadnezzar you said you know sometimes it might feel that somebody wants you out of the way or there's favor being put on you and and people don't like it and sometimes you'll face opposition it happens in life it happens, but these men were, they just wanted them out. They wanted these fast-tracked, educated, intelligent, wise young men out the way. And the only option was for Nebuchadnezzar to challenge them. And I want to look at just that word idolatry for a moment. And idolatry, if you look at the definition of that, it's worshipping the created instead of the creator. 
It's out seeking meaning and purpose and life in something other than God. That's the biblical definitions. It's loving someone or something more than you love God. That is idolatry. It might not be a statue 90 foot tall, but it could be something very simple like money, TV, a relationship. It could be lots of different things that in our current culture, idolatry still stands. It's the things we look to for hope and meaning, fulfillment, confidence, safety, and security that actually we should be looking to for God. And they are in this point where they're saying, no, we will only serve the Lord God Almighty. That's the only God that we recognize and bow down to. And there's a huge pressure to conform. And I know for us today, in lots of ways, and you know, in your life right now, your life stages, there will be pressures to conform. And they won't necessarily be to bad things or difficult things. It can be to status, it can be to jobs, it can be to careers, to finance, to security. There's lots of things. But sometimes we have to just check out, actually, does this mean more to me than a surrendered life to God? Does this mean more to me than me actually pursuing him and finding my hope and my confidence and my peace in him? And there's just those, I'm a challenge, I'm challenged by that. I'm thinking, God, actually, does this mean more to me than you do? And it's a good question to ask because sometimes faith in God is countercultural. I can remember when um, I graduated and I, I went to work uh, in Swansea in the local authority and I started to, you know, get favor and started to get opportunities and I was being pushed for promotion and these sorts of things. But I had an unsettling in my spirit. And, um, and I can remember going to see my church leader at the time and saying, I really feel that this is what I want to move into. This is what God's calling me to. There was nothing like it. And he was going, Anita, I don't, it, it's brilliant and it sounds exactly like you, but I don't know of a job quite like that. And I was, un but I had this unsettling and there was an opportunity for this promotion that they were wanting me to go for. And, and then I looked at the job bulletin and this job came up and it was word for word, almost what I'd said. It was managing this, this community development center and, and it was brand new and it was pioneer work and it was exciting. It was working with groups of people. It was lurking, working in injustice. It was bringing hope. It was, you know, bringing purpose. It was trying to bring organizations and net. And it was exactly almost to the word what I'd said to him. And I took him the advert. I said, do you think this might be it? And he said, when's the application due in? But it was a pay cut. In status, it was a cut. There was a lot of things. And I can remember the, the manager, principal officer in social services just saying to me, you're making a mistake. But I couldn't move from the fact that I had a peace in my heart. And sometimes you have to be it doesn't matter what others think. If you know what God is saying to you and you've got that peace, then actually faith can look defiant. Faith can look countercultural. Faith can look foolish. 
So to some, it looked like foolish. It was a foolishness. It was a backward step in some respects. But I knew in the great scheme of things in the kingdom of God, this was my spiritual promotion. It was my promotion into the next realm for me. And sometimes we've got to do things to make a stand and to, to actually say, no, I believe this is right and we, we need to just step out sometimes. And, you know, we came to this, we, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come to this point where King Nebuchadnezzar gives them a chance. He almost gives them an opt-out clause. He says, is it true that you backed down? Is it true that you didn't worship? And there's this opt-out clause. There, there could have been this situation where it was like, actually, we could get away with this. Actually, is it that big a deal? Actually, when the buttons are really pressed, it's okay to, to stand when you're not in the public eye. You know, for them to, maybe they were on the outskirts of, of the bowing down crowd, as it were. And they could get away with it. Maybe they were behind a pillar. I don't know quite how overt their defiance was. But when you're pressed, and the person that really makes a difference, who actually is going to put them in the fire if this isn't what they're saying, they opt out. It's a different, it's a different kettle of fish then, isn't it? You know, that's when you've got to know that you know that you know. You've got to know what you believe. You've got to know what you're called to you. You've got to know what God's purpose is for your life. You've got to know that you know him because it's this or death. And that's where these men are at. And they say those incredible words where it says, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to defend ourselves. If that's the case, our God who we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods and we will not worship the gold image which you have set up. They didn't need to defend God. They knew who he was and they were prepared to stand for that. How did they know that? They knew his attributes. How did they know that? They knew the stories of old. They knew how God had parted the Red Sea for Moses. They knew how he had fed the Israelites and provided for them in the wilderness. They know that he provided a lamb for Abraham when Abraham was about to sacrifice his son. They had heard the stories of old and they knew that God was faithful. And they stood in that. They had a clear understanding who the Lord God Almighty was. He's good. He's all-powerful. He's faithful. He's able. He's eternal. He's gracious, holy, kind, just, loving, merciful. He's present. He's here. He's sufficient, sovereign, and wise. And they knew that God was able to save them from the burning, fiery furnace and from the hand of Nebuchadnezzar himself. They trusted God with their lives, not holding God to ransom, submitting to his sovereignty also. And then they saw this incredible part, and it says, even if, even if he doesn't serve him, we won't bow down. We won't worship ye. Why? What they're saying is that he's still God. And he's still good. 
It's a bold statement. There's no compromises. This is how it is, Nebuchadnezzar. Our God is greater. Their message is clear. And sometimes it's easier in the long run to be clear about our beliefs from the beginning. Set your stand and don't compromise. Compromise is really hard. It's something that we're taught to do, but there are some things that we have to, have to just stand firm and say, no, this is what I believe. This is where I stand. I can remember when I was in university and I'd just broken up from um, a three-year relationship and, uh, and this, this guy was interested and he was a nice guy. He was, he was nice and he was, you know, there was nothing wrong about him in lots of ways. He treated me well and uh, he wanted to be in a relationship. And I can remember just sitting down with God and he was like, he wasn't a Christian. And I just felt, actually, God, I want to be with a Christian man. I, I actually want that for my life. That was what I felt God was saying to me. I felt that was important. And um, I can remember making this phone call and he made it, he made it really hard. He was going to need to, but I don't mind. I don't mind you being a Christian. And then, um, and I said, and I know, and you're really lovely, but I'm just right now, this isn't okay for me. It's where I was at and I'm not putting it on anybody else, but it was where I was at. And I can remember putting the phone down and I thought to myself, I might be alone, but I'm going to be okay because I know who I believe in. And I know that this is right for me. And I know that if God has got a partner for me, he'll bring him along. And if he doesn't, then I know that I'll have a good relationship and I'll push in. Push in. It was hard. It was a hard decision. And there were so many voices in my head saying, oh, don't, 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 don't do that. But actually, I just decided that actually I didn't want to compromise on that. It was important to me. I didn't want to settle. I wanted to settle for God's best. I wanted God's best for me, whatever that looked like, if it was singleness or if it was in relationship. And what we see in these three men is that actually they're saying, this is important and I'm not going to be swayed. I'm not going to settle. And that's audacious faith. That's actually putting our trust in God, that even though it might not be what we want, and even though the future might not look as we think that we, we, it doesn't turn out the way that we had hoped at, actually that's audacious faith, actually saying that my God is able, my God is faithful, this is who I believe in, and I'm not going to bow down to anything else. They made a stand, and they chose to leave the rest to God. There was no doubt there was no presumption. There's no holding God to ransom. There was just trust. There was a public display of faith and a recognition of God's sovereignty. As I said, they'd already cut their teeth of faith on some of the earlier journeys. But when it came to the big test, they stood their time. And I want to say to you that life isn't always easy. Life isn't always fair. But God is always faithful. And there's one thing that Jesus promised in John 16, verse 33. It says this, In the world you will have troubles, but I have come to overcome the world. 
And, you know, there's, there's things I don't understand. There's things, you know, the, there's things about poverty. There's things about sickness and death. There's things about injustice and discrimination and the distribution of wealth and unequal power distribution. There's lots of things that I don't get. But there's one thing I am sure of, and you'll find it in 2 Timothy 1 verse 12. I know who I have believed in, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him until that day. There's an old song that we used to sing in our church when I was growing up, and it, it's basically the chorus is that verse in Timothy, and that there's a verse in it. And it says this, I know not what of good or ill may be reserved for me of weary ways or golden days before his face I see. But I know who I have believed in and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him until that day. Charles Spurgeon says this, don't judge the situation by the king's threat and by the heat of the burning fiery furnace, but judge it by the everlasting God and the eternal life which awaits you. Men frown at you, but you can see God smiling on you, so you are not moved. We have faced a really difficult situation over the last few months. And I know that when Ness and Rich um, first asked us to pray for Lauren, they gave us that really clear instruction in these words of Daniel 3. And we were praying that God would heal Lauren, and he didn't on earth, but he certainly has in heaven. But I think what's been really helpful is that second part in that verse 18, where it says, and the Wilsons encouraged us. But even if he does not, we won't bow down. We won't serve any other gods. We will lean into him. God is still good and he is still faithful. That is faith in defiance. That is honoring who he is. That is actually living a life of choice to actually not allow our bitterness to take hold, not allow our image of God to be determined by our circumstances, but actually that our circumstances are overtaken by our image of God. We see who God is and we hold that first and foremost. Faith isn't wishful thinking, it's defiance. And it still hurts and it's still hard, but God is there, good and faithful. I want to just end by showing you a couple of pictures of some mountain goats. You think that's a bit bizarre. <laughs> but you know, life has been tough sometimes for, for us. And um, I can remember there's a, there's a verse in the Bible in Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 19 and it says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. And um, I can remember thinking about mountain goats because they're the ones who've got the hind's feet. You know, the, 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 um, it's like a claw in the hoof and it spreads and there's like a rubbery substance of some sort underneath it that spreads and it enables them to 
walk around on the rocks into difficult places. And I used to think of sort of like these grassy fields. And has anyone ever seen Heidi? It's a, anyone? Put your hand up if you've heard of Heidi. Yeah, oh, good. I'm glad. And my husband said to me, they're far too young to know about Heidi. <laughs> Heidi was this little girl in the Swiss Alps. And I used to think about these mountain goats in the, the Swiss Alps jumping from place to place. And it's quite comfortable to think, oh, yes, God, give me the hands feet to manage these, um, these terrain. And that's quite a nice picture. That's quite, yeah, I can manage that. And then I started to think a little bit more. And there's another picture that Nathaniel's going to put on. And I'm thinking, okay, that terrain's a bit more tricky. Um, the background picture is of Kribgoch, which is uh, the most difficult route to climb Snowden. I've done that many years ago. <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, I can do that. I'm going to need some strong boots, and I can, I can do those hinds feet. And then as I was just looking up through this season and, and just looking at that verse, God, you've given me hinds feet to manage difficult heights and difficult paths. God, I need to see that. And I looked up hind's feet, and then I started to see some pictures like this, which were a bit more difficult. And there are times in life where it's really tough. And you're going to have to press in. And you're going to have to be bold, and you're going to have to be courageous. And your faith will be tested. And these were like, okay, that's tough. And then I came to this last picture, and I thought, yeah, God, that's what it's really like. That's the stark reality of what it's like to really be strengthened by God and have hinds feet. When I found this picture, we were going through a really difficult stage. There was just lots, lots going on in life. There was hurt, there was disappointment, there was sickness. There was all sorts going on, and it felt, it felt like it was coming from every angle. And I thought, yeah, God, hinds feet, it's not the grassy meadow right now. And it's not the rocks and the little harsher places. It actually feels like this. And guys, I want to tell you, it's in those times. This is an ibex. Usually, a lot of them you find in Israel in some of the hard places and the mountain terrains. That's the stark reality when your faith is really tested. That's where you've got to be defiant and say, actually, God, I'm all in. Because it's that or death. It's that or giving up. For the three men, it was that or the fiery furnace. But I want to encourage you, it doesn't stay like that forever. There will be seasons, there will be times where you've got to really lean into God. And I want to encourage you, lean in. Lean in. Last year, oh no, it wasn't last year, was it? Two years ago on the, the weekend away, um, some of us went. It was, it was the most horrendous weather. Um, if anyone remember, the, the wind, it was, there was a storm, literally a storm. And some of us went out by the lake and just felt to just go and stand against the wind and lean in. And there was something quite powerful about that. And I want to encourage you that, you know, faith is defiance. You've got to stand. You've got to lean in. That Ibex, he has to lean in and lean in hard and trust his life to the creative design that God has given him, that his feet will spread, that the rubber will hold him, 
It's not real rubber, but it's the best I can describe it. In his feet will hold him to that rock. And I want to say that God never has let me down. I might have been through some difficult stuff. And as a church, we've been through some difficult stuff. But he's never let me down when I cling to him. That's faith in defiance. That's actually saying, God, I trust you. I'm leaning in. I'm going to lean into the rock that is higher than I. I'm going to look up to the hills where my faith comes from. So guys, I'm going to just, I think the team are going to come back up, the worship team. And uh, I'll leave you with this verse, that second bit. Even when it's tough, even when perhaps it doesn't go your way, even when life doesn't turn out as you'd hoped, he's still God and he's still good. And that's where we stand. So the guy's just going to start playing and I'm going to just, there's a few things just I felt to respond to. There's a song, if you just put that up there, Nathaniel, please. You might have heard it, it's called My Prayer for You by Alyssa Turner. And um, it says, for anyone who's prayed a thousand prayers and still can't find the answer anywhere, fighting off the lie that no one cares, for anyone who's out there losing hope, feeling that you're forsaken and alone, clinging to the last strands of your rope, it says, may God give you the eyes to see he's still greater. The courage to rise and believe that he's still able. May God be your peace in the fire you're walking through. This is my prayer for you.